The rest of us will be in Colossians. And guess what? We've moved on from chapter 3. I thought there'd be more rejoicing. <laughs> we, uh, we slowed down uh, quite a bit when we were in chapter 3. Um, took a bit longer. Okay. Um, and actually, we'll be done with this book by the end of October. So, Yes, this year. Yes. It'll, bar- it'll take us barely over a year to do this book. This is not like jo- James Montgomery Boyce and Romans, which took like 16 years, you know? So, all right. We'll read the larger context here, beginning in chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, in whom alone dwells all fullness of light and wisdom, illumine our minds, we beseech you, by your Holy Spirit, in the true understanding of your word. Give us grace that we might receive it with reverence and humility. May it lead us to put our whole trust in you alone, and so to serve and honor you, that we may glorify your holy name and edify our neighbors by good example. And since it has pleased you to number us among your people, help us to give you love and homage that we owe as children to our Father, as servants to our Lord. We ask this for the sake of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love having a DVR. Because having a DVR means I don't have to watch commercials anymore. And most of the commercials on today are not quite uh, good, shall we say. But there's one a few years ago that sticks out in my mind, and I thought it was appropriate for this today, and that was for Sprint. Uh, I don't say that for product placement, even though I do use Sprint. That was for their uh, fair and flexible plan. And uh, it kind of went this way. You have the businessman and his underling there. And the businessman is, is extolling, saying the praises of Sprint's fair and flexible plan, saying that, that no one can tell me what to do. They can't tell me who to call and when to call. It's my little way of sticking it to the man. <laughs> to which the underling says, but you are the man. Yes. So you're sticking it to yourself? Maybe. (laughs) Sometimes we forget that we're the man. 
we forget that we're the one who is in charge. We are one who is uh, in authority over other people. And we forget how it is we're supposed to exercise that responsibility and authority with other people. Big idea this morning is that Christ changes how we exercise authority. Because he reminds us that while we might be the man, he is really the one, the man. First part of this is that Christ is the master of masters. He's not just the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, we, we're okay with that kind of concept, but he is also the master of masters. The boss of bosses, you might say. Behind Paul's comments here about masters that we find as, as the household code comes to an end in Colossians chapter 4, we can see the statements that were read earlier by Jesus in Matthew 20. For we, we should recognize that the old man in Adam tends to function autonomously, as though there was no one in authority over him. And as a result, avoiding accountability, as Jesus says there, the Gentiles lord it over them. And so the tendency of this old man in Adam, when he finds himself in a place of authority, is to lord it over other people. We see this just in the, the Roman law regarding the paterfamilias. He had almost, almost absolute authority over those in his care. We've talked about wives, we've talked about children, we've talked about servants and slaves. He, could, he had, from the Roman law's perspective, almost complete mastery over them. He could, he could spy them and sell them as he wanted. But they have to recognize... What Paul is saying here is that you don't have the authority you think you have. Now, the Roman law gave them powers, I mentioned, that they often used to abuse other people. Now, gradually, over the course of decades, close to a century, that power was slowly eaten away by laws that were changed to restrict the amount of abuse, so to speak, that a master, that a paterfamilias could deal out to those under his authority. But something greater is going on here in what Jesus said in Matthew 20. Because Jesus didn't just say that the Gentiles lorded over them, but he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to offer my life as a ransom for many. And so part of the, the, the gospel reality is that we have been served by Jesus because he offers his life as a ransom for many who are enslaved by sin. And so before we talk about how we might function as people in authority, we have to remember what has happened in the, that we've been set free from the tyranny of sin, which drives us to lord it over other people. We have been transformed from the old man in Adam and brought into the new man in Christ. We have become, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 17, bondservants of Christ. It says in verse 22 there, For he who called us in the Lord, <clears throat> sorry, he who was called in the Lord is a bondservant. Sorry, as a bondservant. I can't read this morning. My brain doesn't want to read. As a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. So he's talking about the slaves. You're, you, were, you were a slave when you were called. You've been freed, so to speak. 
spiritually. You're now freed man in Christ. Likewise, Paul says, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant in Christ. Which is exactly what Paul is is getting at here in Colossians, where he says at the end of chapter 3, you are serving the Lord Christ. And he drives this home particularly to the masters. Jesus, who has freed us from this, this slavery to sin, brings us into his servants, whether we are a slave, whether we are a master, whether we're an employer or an employee, a supervisor, supervisee, a teacher or student. We come under his authority. Paul says it right there, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In fact, there is always someone over us, even if they're not written down on the organizational chart. And that someone is Jesus. Now, the Roman philosopher Seneca had a slightly different perspective on this. Remember, he's the one who kind of argued for the the rights of slaves, that, that masters were to treat them more fairly than they had been doing, to see them as human beings and not just property, like Aristotle had said. But he was interesting because he argued that both master and servant were under the same power. Chance. He says it is by chance and happenstance that you happen to be the master and not the slave. It is by chance and happenstance that you, on the other hand, happen to be the servant or the slave instead of the master, is what he says. It sounds similar to what Two-Face said in The Dark Knight. You thought that we could be decent men in an indecent time, but you were wrong. The world is cruel, and the only morality is a cruel world, and a cruel world is chance. Unbiased, unprejudiced, fair. Mm. What a dark world it is when you live by fate or chance instead of providence. See, we as Christians don't see it as you are the master by chance, by accident, or by the fact that you're smarter or, you know, whatever. We see it all as the providence of God. And so regardless of where you are in the, in the authority structure of various portions of your life, whether it's the family, the workplace, the community, the church, you are there by the providence of God. Not chance, not happenstance, not accident, not by your striving, but by the providence of God. It is Jesus, who Paul has made clear throughout Colossians, who is supreme over all creation. Jesus is the Lord or Master. That word kurios can be used to mean both of those things. And so he is the Lord or Master over every Christian and has providentially placed them where they are. And so, as we think about this, our faith is meant to, uh, to affect how we exercise our authority. We must get this reality that, that we have a greater master deep into our minds and deep into our hearts. Reminding ourselves of this, prayerfully reminding ourselves as we go to discharge our duties, that we are, we are who we are by the grace of God and that we are to, to live out that place, that status in society by the grace of God, reflecting the character 
of our God, which is where Paul is about to go to next. And so this simple truth of his loving, merciful authority over us must get deep within us. And so when we exercise authority over others, we are still under the authority of Christ. Secondly, since Christ is your master, exercise authority with justice. Colossians 4, verse 1 here, focuses on how we we should exercise authority, what we should do with a positive side of what we're supposed to do. As we're going to see, Ephesians 6 takes the exact opposite sort of track. And so we are to treat or show or manifest particular things towards those who are under our authority. And the two things that Paul says here are, we are to do this justly and fairly, not arbitrarily. Notice how that quote from Two-Face, he doesn't quite get it right. That idea that somehow chance is unbiased, unprejudiced, and fair. It is God who is fair. It is God who is just. And who calls us to be both just and fair. Justly has two aspects to it. One of them is, is to observe God's law. And I think that Paul probably has in mind passages in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 15. That they were to be in accordance with God's law in how they treated those people who were placed under them. To provide for them, to care for them, and not just to use them for their own gain and glory. And so they're, they're to remember that they're under God's law, not just human law. They weren't just to say, you know what, I'm, an, I'm by Roman law able to do this to my slave and servant. They were to say, no, God calls me to a higher authority. And I'm reminded of that old Hebrew national hot dog commercial. I'm on a commercial theme today. I don't know why. But I remember that. 70s. I found it on YouTube. You can still find it. It's on our Facebook page if you want to see it. And there's Uncle Sam eating, getting ready to eat a hot dog, and he represents the USDA. No, whatever it is. Food and Drug Administration. And, and Hebrew National is saying that their standards are higher than the U.S. Food and Drug Administration standards. They answer to a higher authority. The kosher laws, God. Okay? We don't believe that the kosher laws are still in effect. But nonetheless, you get the point. We are not bound merely by U.S. law and how we treat other people. We're also bound by God's law in how we treat other people, particularly those who are under our authority. John Calvin notes that God allows to masters no power to them beyond what is consistent with the law of love. Even farther. If they're your neighbor, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. That radically changes how you exercise authority. They're not just tools in your shed to be used at your your whim and for your own pleasure, but they're people to be loved. This also means, in addition to observing God's law, this also means that idea of rendering to each person their their due, this idea of justice giving them what they deserve. 
For instance, the scriptures in the Old Testament are very clear that you are not to, to withhold the wages of a worker. Okay? That's an issue of justice. That's not just the Old Testament. In, in James chapter 5, we see this thing and as, as James kind of points you know, at the rich in the church who are abusing people. He says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. You weren't giving them their due. They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And so one application of this idea of justly is not the withholding of the wages of people. Paul's point here is, in fact, very dangerous to the Roman institution of slavery. Now, Paul's not calling for the abolition of slavery at this point, but what he is saying is they may be slaves, but they still have rights, God-given rights. That go beyond what the state has said they have or don't have. God has given them rights that you are to guard. He's beginning to undermine the foundations of slavery, which essentially says they have no rights. I, as the master, am the only one who has rights. Not only do they have rights, but they are people who are made in God's image. They have the same master as you, he he says to them. And so, he's attacking subtly the foundation for slavery. And so, as we think about this for us, there are no slave owners here. I'm glad for that. Uh, That was a good step forward for all of us when slavery was abolished. But we do have people under our responsibility, under our authority. If you're a teacher, you have students under your authority. You also have an administration. (laughs) But, you know, if you're an employer, you have employees. If you're a supervisor, you have those you supervise. And so what Paul is saying to masters applies in these instances as well. Volunteers here at the church, they come under the authority of, of the session and in the, in the pastor in, in different ways. How we treat them matters. I have to treat Diane justly and fairly. Same thing with Cinda. This matters, what Paul is saying. It's not just obsolete because there are no slaves and masters anymore. And so these people have rights as well as responsibilities. And one of the things is they have a right to not be told to sin against God or other people. In other words, the paterfamilias didn't have the right, as Paul saw it, to command those in his household to sin, whether they were the wives, the children, or the servants. And so we, as we fulfill our responsibilities in the workplace or the school, we don't have the right to command others to sin. That would be violating God's law. Not only were they to act justly, but they were to act fairly. This points uh, to likeness and condition, to equity, to fairness. That Sprint ad, that fair and flexible kind of thing. It makes no sense from their perspective for you to pay a different amounts of money based on when you call. That doesn't seem fair to them. And so 
in a similar way, the masters were to be fair, not, not treating them differently from one another, but to treat them in similar fashion to one another. Fair, that fairness word has popped up a lot in politics lately, but let us think more of the scales of justice. That's more of the idea than sort of a um, abstract sort of um, shifting sands notion of fairness to suit our own desires. Fairness. Supervisors and teachers shouldn't treat people differently based on their faith. You know, if you're a supervisor and you're showing favoritism towards Christians, that's not right. You don't treat them differently just because of their faith. You may have a warmer relationship with them, but in terms of the work experience, you don't give them a promotion just because they're a Christian. You give them a promotion because they do the job well. We're not to, we're not to have two different standards based on their sex or based upon their race. I think it has a lot to do with what Martin Luther King said, judging people by the character of their hearts. That's, Paul would go yes to that. And so these people should not be, be treating others differently based on also people-pleasing. In other words, he's saying, since watch out for the one who's just doing the job to get their way with you, to get in your good graces. Don't buy into, don't give any credence to this idea of people-pleasing as well. Treat people fairly based on how they perform. Don't give a kid an A just because you like them, so to speak. Jesus, what Paul says, is going to evaluate both slaves and masters without Partiality. He said that at the very end of chapter 3. He is the one who sets the standard for us to follow. So as servants of Jesus, we are to exercise authority with justice and equity just like he did. Thirdly, since Christ is your master, forsake threats and partiality. Ephesians 6, as I've mentioned, focuses more on the negative aspects. Don't do this because you're an authority. Colossians 4, do this, act this way. Ephesians 6, don't act this way. And it says there in verse 9 of Ephesians 6, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So, first that idea of do the same to servants. In other words, render service with goodwill toward Christ, and that will exclude certain things. Paul repeats this idea of no partiality, no favoritism, because Jesus is their master and ours. But he says this important phrase, stop your threatening. John Frame notes that slavery without threats is scarcely slavery. One characteristic that distinguishes slavery from other employment is the right of the master to beat the slave, and it is the constant threat of beating that supports 
the relationship. Masters often use threats to keep their slaves and their servants in line. The punishment could be and often was incredibly brutal. They had that right under Roman law. And Paul is essentially undermining, again, the whole basis of slavery by saying, don't threaten your servants. Now, he's not saying don't punish disobedient servants. But what he is saying is don't motivate them through threats. Sort of like that old um, phrase, um, the beatings will continue until morale, morale improves. I've worked there. <laughs> I've lived that. It's not fun. Everyone's always walking on eggshells. And I, um, I told you last week, I think, about the one instance where I had the, the, the boss who every time my name came up said something bad. Well, now, you know, now I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> we had had a meeting, and something had gone wrong. And he, he wasn't really sure who did the wrong. So instead of trying to identify who did the wrong and giving personal admonitions and stuff, basically everyone got called in and got blasted. And unfortunately, my boss was on vacation. So I was supervisor of my department, and we also he was also supervisor of the shipping department. And, and so... And I knew that the shipping had been crazy. The, the amount of product we were moving was just was very high at that point in time. And I felt bad for them. Here it is. They've been working hard. They've been you know, doing their job as best as they possibly can. And this guy doesn't recognize the good work they did. He just, he just found the one bad thing they did. And he pounded us all into the dirt. And I thought that was unfair. And so I went to see him. And he wasn't in his office. And I, and I you know... I tried to say to his secretary, you know, they've been working hard too, and so maybe a word of encouragement would help. Later that day, we all got called in. Emergency meeting. If you don't like how it's being done here, I expect your resignation letter on my desk by 5 p.m. That's what Paul is saying has got to stop. That kind of hang, holding things over people's heads, trying to motivate people by in a negative way by by threats. That's not how Christ tends to motivate his people. The threats that we find in Scripture are directed toward the ungodly. It's the warning: what will happen to them if they don't repent? Promises is how God primarily motivates his people. And so what Paul is saying here, and again, I'm not saying you don't discipline those who are disobedient that, that are under your authority. You know, maybe they need to be written up, they need to be sent to the office, whatever. But the way in which you treat them should fundamentally change away from the threats and to promises. This undermines slavery profoundly. We should probably think about how we try to motivate other people who are under our authority. 
perhaps we should be more positive, like we see in Ephesians 6.8. I'm going to flip there for a second. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or he is free. So Paul there is using encouragement of promise based on God's character to encourage those bondservants. We see it as well at the very end of chapter 3 in Colossians. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so Paul models what he's expecting in his letters. He was giving largely positive encouragement with promises as opposed to, you're going to get whacked. Very different in the temper of a room, of an organization. A place where there is, there is this positive encouragement and these pointing to promises is no one's walking on eggshells. They're actually probably more likely to try to do their job well as opposed to cowering in fear and uncertainty. So as our master who graciously brought us into his service, Jesus is also our model for how to exercise that authority that he gives us. The gospel makes us new people with new hearts that result in new ways to rule over others. Part of that is that we're humbled that Jesus rules over us. We reckon, I'm not in control. I'm not the captain of my own fate. We seek to be just and fair to those who are under us by God's providence. We seek to encourage instead of beat people down. And so the gospel matters. Not just in how we live under authority, but how we live when we have authority. Let's pray. Father, in that one verse, you've uh, sort of said a lot that really needs to bounce around in our brains for a while to color how we view those times when we have responsibility and authority. Father, forgive us because of Christ for the ways in which we have exercised authority in a way that lords over other people, that demands and harshly criticizes and threatens. Forgive us for that. Thank you that you have held out your Son and all the blessings that come with him to us, all the hopes that we have in him. Help us to rethink and to put this part of our lives into the idea of gospel practice, living like the gospel is real. Help us to flesh that out as we ponder this in the days to come. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.